for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organizations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker, and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business, Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges joined by relevant experts and real life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast and I'm really pleased to have this week's guest because I think today's topic is so important to everybody out there. So I've got the CIPD's Senior Reward Advisor Charles Cotton with me today and we're going to focus in on the issues around the cost of living crisis and what can we do in an HR capacity to help people out. Charles thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. So I, I know you've actually done lots of research into this, Charles, haven't you? And as, as the, we're actually going to signpost people to um, the CIPD's hub on the cost of living crisis. And there's lots of really useful materials. But I suppose just starting off here, how big an issue do you see uh, this cost of living crisis to be for HR and for people that um, that are our employees? Well, it's a certainly it's a very big issue and it's also a very complex issue i mean it's caused by many factors i mean some of the ones that um are often quoted in the media are you know the the war in ukraine um the disruption to the supply chain caused by caused by covid we've had labor shortages um extreme weathers has caused problems for um food production and you know, more recently, we're seeing falls in the value of the cur- in in the currency, and it's yeah. not just happening in the UK. And of course, there are many parties um, who also have a role to play, um, such as employers, government, employees, financial services, unions. However, it's I suppose it makes sense, given our audience, to focus on what employers can do um, in the UK. Yeah, and that's what I hopefully we'll we'll be talking about. Yeah, I mean the 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 whole sort of thing about I, I think we've been through times as well with with low inflation for for an awfully long time, and therefore that the classic cost of living pay increase isn't necessarily something that employers have kind of carried on um, doing. I think in lots of places they haven't necessarily um, felt able to. And now it was very high inflation. It feels like should we all be doing cost of living increases? Um, I mean one. One of the differences between now and the financial crash back in 2008, 2000, is that employers could say, you know, we can't afford to give you a pay rise. We're going to have to freeze pay or we're going to have to cut it slightly. But inflation was falling. Interest rates were falling. That's not a a situation um, at the moment. And the labour market is very tight. And the challenge is if organisations can't increase pay and some employees, you know, um, will move jobs. However, as you well know, I'm sure you've covered in other podcasts, there are other 
uh, motivations and reasons to join and stay an organization, including um, pay. Pay is important, but there are lots of other um, issues as well. So when we talk about how organizations can tackle work poverty, we, of course, we talk about pay, but we also talk about fairness in how decisions are made and about openness and transparency. We also talk about opportunities for in-work progression so people feel that they can um, develop their skills and experience and their knowledge so they can progress uh, through the organization, as well as the benefits that the organization is able to provide. These may be um, non-financial um, or what's often termed as non-financial benefits, such as um, flexible working, hybrid working, those types of approaches, as well as things like, you know, um, occupational sick pay, um, a staff canteen. And I think we may be touching on it later in this podcast, but perhaps focusing on those benefits that can have um, a big impact for those um, employees who are low wage because they spend quite a lot of their money on things like accommodation, on food, on transport, childcare. So any um, benefits in those areas um, will help ha- have have a good impact for them. So that's that's. I mean, those are all really relevant, aren't they? And I think yeah, great if you can afford to fund a pay rise, all brilliant. But you were coming up there with some really quite useful suggestions then that um, you might recommend. I mean, what would should we drill into those in a little bit more detail? There might be things that people haven't heard of or haven't thought of. So almost sort of total reward package as to what um, to keep people. Yeah, I mean, perhaps before I, I go into some of the detail, it might be worth saying that um, I suppose there is a business case for um, spending more on your employees because we know that poor financial well-being has, in co- has consequences both for employees and potentially employers. So a recent um, report that we commissioned, the CIPD commissioned, um, explores the impact that money worries can have on employee well-being and finds that they can have a negative impact on um, mental and physical health, which can then um, affect their work performance. Now, one way it can affect their work performance is through absence, Mm -hmm. either because people take time off to deal with these worries or they're too stressed to come to work, And another is that it can cause presenteeism. People still work, but because of their money worries, they aren't fully functioning. For example, uh, they could be suffering from fatigue because Mm -hmm. they've lost sleep worrying about their finances, or they spend work time trying to sort out their cash problems. So not only do um, money worries affect employee well-being, uh, they can also affect employee and organizational performance. So there is, you know, to a certain extent, a business case or a moral yeah. case for organisations to think about what can we do to improve the financial well-being of our employees. But as I said, it, money is important, but there are other aspects as well. I mean, that's, I suppose, thinking of us as HR professionals in an organisation, it's making that business case when money might be tight within that, that it's not, it's, it's about the sort of long-term gains isn't it it's, it's easy to think oh right now we haven't got the money but what you're saying is, you know, the cost of recruiting people if we lose them you don't necessarily realize the impact of not doing these things so we've really got to help convince the people with the purse strings of you know how vitally important it is to you know again look at well-being to show people that we value them I suppose there's going to be something about maybe being 
it's something about being open and honest and, and actually upfront with people and communicating, trying to solve the problem together. Would you advocate getting side by side with people to try and solve the problems? Well, again, I think that goes back to what we were talking about earlier around the importance of, fa- of, of fairness. When we've asked employees in the past what's important to their um, financial well-being, obviously pay came out as being important, but also um, the fairness of reward decisions, people being um, given pay rises fairly or promotions fairly and bonuses fairly. So it's important for organisations to think about that, about how do they communicate um, to employees why they're getting paid, what they're getting paid, what the organisation needs to achieve to be able to give them, you know, a pay rise or or a bonus. Um, How do their pay compared to others in the organisation? How is it compared to um, people outside the organisation? And to a certain extent, um, a lot of pay transparency is already happening, possibly outside the organisation's control because you're starting to see more information being shared through social media. It's appearing on various um, websites where you talk about, you know, your employer, um, you know, the experience of your organisation in terms of pay and benefits. So, the information is out there anyway. So it's important for organisations to kind of recognise that and say, well, how can we kind of own own the narrative around this? And as you say, it makes sense for them to be talking to employees and getting their feedback and saying, you know, do you understand what we're trying to achieve? And also taking their ideas and thoughts um, in, into consideration as well. Yeah, so so involving them is it? Yeah, I think if we talk to people about it, often being upfront about things does def, does help. I think in terms of that, but your whole concept there of making sure that we've got a strategic um, and a fair way of supporting people, they see that the reward is is rolled out in a fair way is is, is critical to motivation and morale. Again, I suppose in terms of retention. Um, one of the things that I was thinking about was you know you mentioned you touched on it earlier was the maybe having a different a different approach depending on the type of industry or business that you are because if you're you know if you're you've got lots of minimum wage people you may need to be more practical because I think the impact is greater isn't it do you want to talk a little bit about maybe different approaches for certain demographics or, or organizations yeah I mean as I think as you said as, as you um allude to there's no one size fits all approach so employees need to understand what the challenge is that um, people are facing so that they can think about possible uh, solutions. Um, And they should also explore what help they can provide through pay and what help they can provide through benefits. So in terms of low-wage staff, then obviously um, paying them a living wage is going to be helpful. And last week we heard that the Living Wage Foundation um, kind of announced that a rate of £10.90 an hour across the UK. Now, in theory, paying a living wage can give you benefits over employers that don't, which could help cut the costs of increasing pay, such as better employee financial well-being, brand reputation, employee engagement. So by paying more, you can get better organisational performance, though the most common reasons often for adopting the voluntary living wage when we've talked to employers about this is that they feel it's the fair or right thing to do. Now, another way of being able to afford to give higher wages is to increase organisational performance so that you can um, afford to pay your employees um, more. 
Um, and I suppose this approach is often called smart work working. And it looks at how jobs, tasks, and the organization are designed to see where improvements can be made. And that can boost employee performance and effectiveness, and that can then be used um, to increase pay. But, you know, as you said, there are other ways we can think about it. So, for instance, the government has recently scrapped the 1.25 percentage point increase in employer NICs. So perhaps you could use that to fund, you know, help fund the pay or perhaps pay a bonus or, or, or give benefits. Other organizations are perhaps thinking about bringing forward the annual pay rise. So instead of having it in January, they might bring it forward to November. Or if it's in April, they might bring it forward to um, December or, or January. So people get the, um, the, the pay earlier. Another way of increasing productivity is offering um, people more hours which can be used to increase their pay. Now, this approach can help those who either don't have the opportunity to work extra hours um, that they need, i.e. they're unemployed, or the, the opportunity is there. It's just that there are barriers preventing them from working extra hours, such as childcare or elder care. So in this case, HR needs to look at how these barriers could be overcome, such as, as we mentioned before, flexible working. However, the data shows that the overall number of people wanting to work extra hours is actually at quite low levels now, I think lower since 2008. Um, yeah, it's but, more of you know, it's, four, four day weeks, isn't there, rather than... Yes, yes. Yeah. And also, if you <laughs> if people work for longer, then potentially, if it's not properly managed, then their welfare and their well-being will, will slump. But, you know, look out in your organisation, there may be people who could want you know who who could want to work extra hours and if you've got the extra hours that might be one way of helping them you've got other areas of things like giving people shares in the company um if the company does well then the shares will be worth more and the employees will be wealthier however i suppose it's fair to recognize it's going to take a few years for the shares to go up in value and I mean, that's quite I a good suppose, way of tying people into loyalty. I'm not sure whether or not it will help them their cost of living just yet. Well, that's the thing is at the media, you could say, well, at the moment, we can't give you a pay rise, but we can give you shares or we can give yeah. you a, a share of future profits. But as you say, for some, it may be um, they need the money now. And one of the things that many organisations are thinking about and some have already done so is giving them a kind of a lump sum bonus to help with the cost of living. We've seen various organizations in the retail sector and in the finance sector giving them um, staff bonuses which is great however you've got to think about that for those getting universal credit or tax credits um, such a bonus could interfere with their benefit payments oh, blimey, it's in my bills are you giving people money and actually yeah and then it's counterproductive yeah yeah so i mean what you need to do again is, is think well what options can you do so some organizations are thinking about giving people gift vouchers in lieu of payments cash payments there of course there are tax implications with that or um instead of giving that people a lump sum bonus all in one go giving employees the option to kind of take that in monthly installments um and that will have less of an impact potentially on 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 people's universal credit or, or tax credit claims but of course it's going to be tricky for employees um who are getting those to make an informed estimate of what impact a bonus could have their eligibility um because usually their universal claim is at the household level 
So right. HR teams need to kind of signpost to citizens' advice um, so employees know where to go to get the information or the, um, I suppose, experience and advice on what options would best make, would best suit them if they were going to kind of take it as a lump sum or, or decide to take it in installments. Are there any sort of tax free or tax friendly tips that you've got that people could look into that um, worth thinking about? Well, um, there are, but again, you need to kind of think about um, also the kind of the, the cost of the organisation um, and also the benefit to the employee as well. It may be that they may be tax benefits, but the organ um, the employee may not value the benefit that's been provided to them, even though it's cost effective for the organisation in terms of tax. Right. So, I mean, I think what often makes more sense is to think about segmenting your employees and thinking about what you can provide for them. In so, when it comes to things like benefits, um, for instance, the Joseph Rowntree Foundation has identified that low-wage employees spend more proportionally more of their of of their income on, I suppose, certain things like housing and utilities, groceries, transport, and and childcare. So it could make sense for organisations to focus in on those. And also because of economies of scale, it can cost employers less to buy these staff benefits than it would be for staff to buy themselves. So, for example, you know, compare the cost in terms of money and time of workers to kind of buy or make their own lunch to what it would cost the employer to do that. Um, so, yeah, so again, the Joseph Rancher Foundation with things like looking at travel costs, how to reduce food costs, etc. And a lot of this is kind of a, in in the blog that you mentioned earlier yeah. and, and on the hub. But things like letting people work from home more often, if the job allowed, that would help reduce travel costs. Allowing people who work, uh, you know, who 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 come to work to travel by, who, who use public transport to come to work when it's cheaper, you know, after peak hours. Yeah. Um, right. Providing a free minibus or coach to transport people to their workplace, facilitating carpools, providing interest-free loans to buy trans, you know, to buy public transport season tickets, bikes, or or, or cycles. Again, they can be um, quite tax efficient. Um, joining the government's backed cycle to work scheme, which again is tax efficient. Um, offering, you know, I suppose if you're going to offer people. You know, join the scheme or offer loans to um, people to get a bike, then it makes sense to offer them places to store that bike or, um, or, or their cycle, you know, providing shower facilities for those yeah. who cycle, cycle to work or, or run to work, um, paying staff travel expenses as quickly as possible or providing them with a credit card for travel expenses. I mean, that's just some of the few um in that area that, that organizations can see. Yeah. yeah, they're practical, aren't they? The um yes. the point you made earlier about um subsidizing meals or being able to support people in that category, is, is that something that would be taxable? Usually is there a way of that not being taxable? No, no. You um if um if you look at the government website, yeah, you know, there are rules. I mean, if you were to kind of, I know, um spend know, forty or fifty pounds per head um, on people per you know for the 
for their lunch if they're in the HMRC might be a bit suspicious, but most, you know, you buy in bulk and a lot of these meals can provide, you know, can be provided for, you know, three or four pounds a head, which is a lot cheaper than people themselves. The same things like minibuses, um, again, um, it's cheaper for the organization to do that. But again, you have to ensure that you'd, HMRC doesn't think that, well, actually, this is kind of disguised remuneration. Mm. You know, they're all being picked up in a Rolls Royce, this thing like that, but it's un- it's unlikely. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, so, there's, so there's various things like that, which we can have. One of the things that is interesting, the whole idea of being able to work from home and lots of people wanting to carry on working from home. Obviously, we had this the change due to COVID. But of course, now with heating and costs of being at home going up, I've, I've spoken to three people today on various Teams calls, all of got all of which have got blankets on them as we're getting <laughs> a bit chillier. You know, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Almost, uh, I know there is a small amount that goes towards heating. I think there's a tax-free allowance of £6 a week or something that you're allowed to pay people. But you can almost see where people might see that although they're saving their money on commuting, actually it's costing them, they might want to come into the office uh, because it, they don't have to heat it. Uh, I don't know whether there's anything there in terms of a shift in in mindset. Well, again, I mean, many people now have smart meters so they can perhaps do the calculation. So I I spend this amount on energy and um, in in a day. So this is how much it would um, compare to come into the the office. And, of course, then you have these trade-offs because – you know, these are increasingly environmental concern. Many people's homes aren't particularly fuel efficient compared to their to their homes. So, at, so, sorry, to their offices. So it make more sense from that perspective to come in the office. But actually, then you think about the cost of travelling and the cost of um, you know once the you know, and, and the time as well of spent commuting. Then it becomes less um, of of an appealing prospect. And you know, one of the things that we're exploring is what more could employers do in terms of offering benefits that could help people um, w- um, insulate their homes. Yeah. So things like um, double glazing, um, insulation itself, um, energy efficient um, heating, et cetera, et cetera. Um, could those perhaps be provided um, through a salary sacrifice arrangement? Obviously, you'd have to get HMR see agreement or government agreement for that but it could be something that you know the government would obviously see as being beneficial and even if you can't if even if if the government's not going to go down that road it's still something that the um, employers might be able to negotiate on behalf of their employees um, cheaper deals than they would necessarily be able to get themselves so when it comes to things like insulation um, or double glazing for instance Gosh, it's interesting. So it, it's really we're almost cha- um, challenging the employer to think beyond the, what would have been the previous remit, if you like, of where you might typically try and support people get involved. You'd leave like house stuff to to the individual. You wouldn't go anywhere near it. But actually, with the whole working from home and the challenges, that's yeah, that that's going the next going going above and beyond in in many ways, or certainly into different realms that you wouldn't have thought of before. No, I think perhaps what's happened is COVID. And the experience that kind of um, encouraged or pushed organisations to think more creatively about the well-being of their employees. And now, just we've moved from 
and pulled straight after a medical emergency to a financial emergency. Organizations are also thinking, well, what are the lessons that we learned from supporting our staff during this period to how you know we can apply um, to this new um, crisis that they're facing? Yes, yes. And I suppose things like the childcare, there were various things like childcare vouchers and stuff were there before. Those were important. Um, and there were a few things, but maybe not everybody capitalised on it. So perhaps looking at the area, the 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 benefits that are tax efficient that are there for people and just making the most of, like you said, the bike scheme, the childcare vouchers, all those sort of things have been around for quite a long time. But not all employers actually utilise them, do they? So being able to make sure that we are maximising the opportunity for people to to save tax, save money? Well, I think is not only just um, the employers also looking around for what they, you know, what they can do, but also communicating to staff what they are already doing. Yes. Um, often you hear um, people getting to financial distress, not realising actually the organisation had various um, benefits on offer to try and prevent these problems from arising in the first place so for instance having an employee assistance program that could perhaps give them um, support or help or you know being putting them in touch to in touch with the um, benefit provider that the organization um, was using Um, as well as you know perhaps directing people externally as well to people like the citizens advice bureau who we talked about earlier or the money and pension service all of these um, are, are useful sources of information. But as you said, you know, also about, about benefit take-up, you know, letting people know what benefits there are and how they could be value, valuable to individuals so that they do um, um, sign where they need to sign or what they need to do to, to get hold of them. And potentially also using the opportunity to highlight the support that you can get from the state and you know often we know that um billions of pounds go um are sorry billions of pounds aren't used um you know the the government sets aside this amount of money for various things like universal credit or housing credit etc and not everybody who's eligible actually claims it so the organization could say well help people to claim what they are eligible for well, you just talked about um, chat tax, um, sorry, you know, childcare vouchers, which have mm-hmm. been phased out and replaced by um, um, tax-free childcare. You know, the the, the kind of um, the the new new arrangement. So it may be that employers could help their employees claim um, for those. So, rather, if they're kind of being put off um, from claiming from those benefits because the admin, the bureaucracy that's involved, perhaps the organisation can say, well, you know, we'll take you through step by step and make it easier for them to do it. Yeah, Yeah, to claim. really practical things. Mm. Um, Also, making sure that people don't suffer in silence because it could be really embarrassing, even though, you know, it's a difficult... So making sure that people will come and ask for support and help. Um, You know, if you've got sort of emergency assistance people may not know about and they might be too embarrassed to ask. So being approachable... Yes, I mean um, one one um, opportunity that we encouraged um, organisations to take um, advantage of is the Money and Pension Services Talk Money Week, which is in November. And one of the reasons that 
the Millennium Pension Service has this, is to kind of break down the stigma of talking about um, financial issues and, and, and money issues in the workplace. So people feel more open about talking about financial issues and worries and approaching um, their, you know, their, either their colleagues or their line managers and HR about, um, you know, asking for help. Now, it's important if you're kind of going down that route that HR gives support to their line managers. So line managers are able to direct people to sources of um, information and, and guidance and also to know where the boundary lies between giving people, you know, guiding people with their problems compared to giving them financial advice, which, as you know, is a regulated um, oh, yes, of course. Um, regulated um, activity yes so so it's treading that being helpful without overstepping the mark Mm. so I mean all of these are really useful practical things that some come with health warnings some it's about referring people you're the CIPD you've got this cost of living crisis hub haven't you what what, can you tell us a little bit about this how people can find it and and what it will offer well, yeah, basically, if you go to the CIPD website um, or Google CIPD cost of living, and it's basically a hub which has various resources to help employers think about how they can tackle um, you know, or, or support their employees deal with the um, cost of living crisis. So it looks at what other organizations are doing. It has links to you know the blog, which... Um, we, we mentioned earlier um, over time we'll be adding more to it things like webinars and, and podcasts as well as articles or to kind of give an idea of what are the different things you can do so money is important but it's not necessarily just money there's other things that organizations can 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 think about um, such you know as you said just having a conversation um, again because this is a multifaceted problem, you've got to think about the language you use. So um, low-waged workers are probably quite used to living on a budget, being quite savvy financially. However, you know, the sudden increase in inflation, the interest rates, I think is probably for many middle earners and higher earners um, come as a nasty surprise. So yeah. they may need information and guidance about budgeting, as well as various tips about the ways that they can reduce how much they spend on both essential and non-essential items. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? That in terms of, of hitting people in different at different earnings, it's not just the low, lower wage ones. It's the it's the shock. So I'm some of the middle or even higher earners may have massive mortgages um, on variable rates, which are suddenly they their disposable income is dramatically changing uh, well yes they may be coming they may have had you know five or perhaps seven year fixed deals which are now coming to an end at, mm. perhaps at the worst possible time so yes yeah and also you know some people perhaps didn't expect the financial issues that were going to happen um had happened and i suppose for since that's why the importance of having a kind of a a rainy day fund or a financial buffer just in case something happens because um, many, um, I suppose, higher earners, they can be negatively impacted by things such as bereavement or divorce 
or illness and that can have you know quite a severe impact on their financial well-being yeah so the hub it gives it, it sort of signposts some of the things we've talked about it gives more information on some of the things we've talked about and how people can access them um and you know and you're going to add to it as time goes on yes i mean as you said people keep asking about well what are the tax implications which to quite whilst it's quite interesting actually would quite make quite a dull podcast or <laughs> quite a dull and, and all oh, changing well, we had a mini budget last week didn't we so it's uh yeah it yeah, keeps changing as well so so for instance earlier i just talked about perhaps using the employer national insurance contributions that you were having to spend um now you don't perhaps you could use that money for pay or, or benefits or, or something else to you know improve employee financial well-being and who knows what um, may happen in in the future i mean it's pretty fast pace moving and um yeah. you know today um you know on today the 26th we're already talking about whether the bank of england may have to increase interest rates again you know make an emergency increase yes it's quite frightening isn't it on, on that on that cheerful note, <laughs> we'll we'll hope that that's not the case. Of so we'll a pause there, but Charles, thank you so much for coming on the HR Uprising podcast. I'll put links to the blog and to the hub in the show notes for this, so that people can go and actually take advantage of all that research that CIPD have done for them. Thank you so much. Great, excellent. Thank you very much. And um, you know, there are positive opportunities out there. You know, for employers that actually do try and do something or show they do something or actually just you know just are empathetic and kind obviously are going to um do better than those organizations yeah. that actually don't absolutely <laughs> kind of indifference even just talking to, to people about it it's important isn't it to show that um to show empathy for the position that people are in. yeah i mean the th- I suppose the irony is that just as we hit a cost of living crisis many businesses are also they're talking about the cost of doing business yeah. so many of their own costs have gone up at a time um at the, at the same time so again it kind of limits their um opportunities um for, for how they can support their staff yes but you know yeah. we're still encouraging organizations and hr teams to kind of say well what is you know what's the problem how you know what what actions can we take within our organization to let people know that we're trying to help them and also we may have something already in place which could help them but we need to kind of communicate it um, to employees um, and let them know what, what, what we already have yes and, and as you said we've been through a sort of one crisis in terms of the health and what that and the whole covid thing meant we had to work closely with employees it was much more about a, a sort of a closer teamwork i think in thinking about well-being and people's um, you know, uh, physical well-being. Now it's about working closely and sort of being open and sharing about the financial well-being and and the challenges for both the businesses and the individual. So it's challenging. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean that's how the CIPD started off a hundred years ago. We were the Welfare Association because our focus was on employee welfare. And perhaps what's happened during the COVID and now the cost of living crisis, we have seen a return to a focus on employee welfare. Wow, that's an interesting fact, and that's a great one to end on. So, Charles, thank you so much. Another, another opportunity for a podcast. <laughs> thank you. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. 
If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.